to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hey everybody, welcome back to Confessions of an Obese Child. Confessions of an Obese Child. Listen up. We are back with confession number 13, Summer Camp. Now before I begin, I just want to do the uh, the typical things. Uh, my name is Gregory. Originally I'm Albert, uh, but being fat and having the name Albert was not ideal. If you listen to confession number two, I talk about that. So I go by A. Gregory Lunar, if you can just call me Gregory. I am a double certified health consultant or health coach. I'm here to help you if you're wanting to lose weight or wanting to feel better about yourself in general. I can give you tips. You can hire me and I can help you out. Or if you don't want to spend money on that and you think, I don't need a health coach, yada, 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 I totally understand that. I would recommend that you review my articles and I do have an article as to why it is important to have a health coach because there is a deficiency. You know, we have doctors, but frankly, the average visit with a doctor is about nine minutes and obesity is pervasive. So there is a disconnect because even if you do see a doctor or a dietitian, most of them are still in that old paradigm that we need to eat low fat and eat a lot of grains, which is the exact opposite of what you really need to do. So there is a need. I have lost uh, over 100 pounds for a quarter of a century now to keep it off, so I could help you. But hey, if you don't want to hire me, that's fine. But go to my website, naturopathicearth.com, www.naturopathicearth.com. You can review some of my wellness articles. I have articles about sleep hygiene, probiotics, prebiotics, um, depression, why is to biohack depression. And then, of course, I have the actual confessions of an obese child. Confessions of an obese Anyways, I have those, the actual blogs there. So if you're having problems, find my website. Just type in confessions of an obese child, and I'm like the second hit. So before we begin, I do want to address something. I had somebody email me asking me what are the top five foods I could live without. This is a toughie. This is a toughie because we really don't cover nutrition on this. I am going to start my Naturopathic Earth um, podcast pretty soon, which will cover nutrition and aromatherapy and, and herbalism and all these things. And I'm definitely going to cover that more on that one. But really quickly, I've mentioned it repeatedly, dark chocolate. I am hooked on dark chocolate. I am a hardcore 90 percenter. I can go 85. Anything lower than that, too much sugar, don't go into milk chocolate because I'm lactose intolerant. And uh, to be honest, after you've weaned yourself off of the sugar on the, the chocolates, you really don't want to go back to the sweeter varieties. So I love me some 90. The brand really doesn't matter. I try to stay away from those that have soy lecithin, which is an emulsifier, which you find about 80% of packaged foods. Soy is genetically modified, and it is estrogenic in large amounts. Um, and you think, well, Gregory, I don't eat a lot of soy. Well, it's soy lecithins and everything. So even though you're not eating tofu a lot or drinking soy milk, soy milk, ladies, definitely don't recommend you drink that. Drink that. If you want a non-dairy alternative, I would go with coconut milk, full-fat coconut milk. But um, the soy is an issue. So I try to choose dark chocolate bars that don't have that. So, you know, Lint 90 is a good one. Um, I, I used to, to buy this $5 dark chocolate bar from Brazil. I can't remember the name of the company, but they went out of business. I do like uh, Green and Gold. That's a good brand, but there's a bunch of them that are really great. So definitely 90% dark chocolate. Can't eat Baker's chocolate. Even I can't go Baker's. I need a little sugar. 
And on 90, 90%, you're looking at about five grams of sugar per serving and a half a bar and a lot of fiber. So it's great. So that'd be number one. I eat a lot of that. Number two, eggs. I brinner it all the time. Brinner is a portmanteau of uh, breakfast at dinner. I eat tons of eggs. I normally make a hard-boiled egg and eat at lunch with, uh, at school, along with a bunch of nuts, blueberries. And, um, and then eh, two, three times a week, I'll make an omelet at night, four or five eggs um, with some spinach, spinach, some uh, ceboya, some onions, throw on some turmeric, and I eat it with ketchup. I know it's weird, like I'm a child, but I do eat my eggs with ketchup. Sometimes I put them with um, mustard to not get as much sugar, but I do like the ketchup with the eggs. So I'm a big egg junkie, so that'd be number two. Uh, I am a hummus junkie. Now, the problem with the hummus that I eat is that I buy the store-bought because I've never been able to make hummus at home that actually tastes as good. The problem with the store-bought hummus, there are a couple of things. First, they use the inflammatory omega-6 fats. Most of them are made with canola oil. There are some brands, and this is a key. You want to look for the brands that, that use olive oil. You want tahini to be the second ingredient behind chickpeas. Those, like the, the Target brands or the mass grocery chains, they typically put water as the second ingredient so they don't taste as well. And uh, the other issue is that they're in plastic, so you're leaching with the BPA. And even though they say they're BPA-free, a lot of things, they just use BPS or Triton or one of the other plasticizers. So it's just a really a bait-and-switch. So we should try to avoid plastic at all costs. I am a big hummus junkie, and I, I, I like Mediterranean, olive, garlic. I don't like the jalapenos. Down here in Texas, they do a lot of jalapeno-based hummus. Not a big fan of that one too much. Not a big fan. Um, that'd be number three. Number four would probably be nuts. Eat a lot of melange or assortment of nuts. Macadamia nuts I like, but they're kind of chalky, so I probably typically go with Brazil nuts. Eat a lot of Brazil nuts. Uh, ideally, you want to soak them because there's phytic acid in nuts, and um, it can cause like a leaky gut and some dysbiosis. So ideally, you want to soak them in water. I have an article on it if you want to read it, and then put them in a dehydrator or your oven. But uh, I'd probably say that's number four. And then the fifth one, mm. so I'm trying to differentiate between what I eat a lot of and what I really like. And my, you know, a simple pleasure. I love cookie cakes, but I don't eat cookie cakes too much. But I love cookie cakes. Middle Eastern food. I'm a gigantic junkie. I mean, I could literally eat shawarmas, gyros, couscous, baba ganoush, hummus, naan, tabbouleh salad all day. So I guess that would be number five. So yes, uh, Deborah, those are the top five foods that I can live without. But I do eat a lot of Brenner. I do intermittently fast, so I don't eat breakfast. I haven't eaten breakfast in about three years, and I don't miss it, and I don't have hunger pangs. Literally, I can go to like 4 o'clock and not feel hungry at all. I do stay hydrated during that time, of course, and drink a lot of tea. Uh, but um, I, I like eggs. Now, breakfast generally is uh, morning dessert because if you look at the typical breakfast, what is it? French toast, pancakes, cereals. Those are all just carbs. I mean, IHOP is just, you know, diabetes takeout, really, when you think about it. So uh, I do like the eggs, and that's why I try to eat them at night. So those are my five things. So let's begin. So the last confession was on the swimming pool, which was a kind of a downer, kind of a downer. Swimming pool, swimming pool is kind of a downer as well. 
Uh, before I begin, you can find me on Twitter. That's pretty much the only social media one that I check daily. I try to tweet uh, three or four times a day. You can find me at Naturopath Earth, Naturopath Earth, at Naturopath Earth. So, along with the swimming pool, the perfunctory summer camp is another rite of passage for most children. On the surface, it is a mutually beneficial arrangement. Children suffocated by the confines of the house and parents exasperated by the nagging presence of their children needing to get them out of the house. So it's a proverbial win-win situation for both parties. Summers are tough. You know, I never realized this when I was a kid, but now that I have kids, and my kids, the oldest are six, is six years old. I don't really notice it, but, you know, I know summer's tough because the kids are at home and then they really just want to get out and... And so it's like, ah, oh, I can't deal with them for 90 days. You know, and the parents are like, let's just, summer camp, you know, uh, the amusement park, uh, which is another one that's coming up, you know, just get, get out, just get out. I need some downtime or, or you're at work, you know, and you, you need to put the kids somewhere. So I think, I think most of you guys went to some sort of day camp or some sort of camp when you were young. So many kids have a halcyon view of their camp experience. Their experiences may run the gamut from cooking s'mores by the campfire and canoe races to hiking in the woods to their first kiss, making friendships that may last a lifetime. As you know, a few variations of summer camp exist, namely day camp or overnight camp. Alas, I never had my meatballs moment with a Bill Murray-esque camp counselor or revel in the pubescent exploits of the teens and little darlings. So those are both references to 80s movies. Meatballs was one of Bill Murray's first movies when he was... Ooh, he was still in SNL, I think, at that time. And it's just about a nerdy kid who goes to summer camp, and Bill Murray's the cool, hip counselor, and he kind of mentors him. And at the end, um, there's like this big uh, competition with the neighboring camp, and... And it's a, it's a cute movie if you like Bill Murray. He has an acquired taste. You know, people love Rushmore. Rushmore is kind of a classic in Ghostbusters. I did watch the first half of the female version of Ghostbusters, and I can understand why the reviews weren't that great. I thought Chris Hemsworth is great as the male bimbo. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, you know, she plays the same role in all her movies. So And then uh, Kristen Wiig's great. I don't have a problem with her. And Leslie Jones, again, she's a one-trick pony. She kind of does the same thing in SNL and all her movies. Yeah, but, um, yeah, Kate McKinnon's great. I think I, I've been loving Kate McKinnon since, you know, she was on SNL, so I think she's great. But as a whole, I wasn't that impressed with the, the Ghostbusters movie, and I just kind of turned it off. The original's great. You know, Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver. I am the key master. I am the gatekeeper. Zool. And then the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. It's, just, yeah, it's classic. Little Darlings was a movie with, uh, this is a very obscure 80s movie. It had uh, Tatum O'Neill and uh, Christy McNichols. And it uh, just talks about girls coming of age. And I think there was you know, sexual exploits. I think Matt Dillon's in it. He's very young. So no, my version of camp was a YMCA day camp located in the woody outskirts of Houston. In the summer of 1987, my parents matriculated me into a two-week day camp. Like many parents, they probably thought it'd be good for me. A place to expand my horizons, for I was an insulated suburban boy. A place to get some exercise and sun. I remember they came up to me, they were like, Albert, you need to get out. You can't stay home and just watch cartoons and play video games and ride your squeaky bike 
to the Circle K to binge eat. You need to go out. And I'm like, Mom, Dad, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to. I'm scared of camp. And I was petrified of camp because a lot of my friends, you know, my acquaintances at school were going to camp. And I really did not want to go to camp. So I was able to convince them that I didn't want to do an overnight camp, you know, so it was a day camp. And they're like, <laughs> so they were like, okay, fine. But I mean, they were right. You know, I was a suburban boy. And, and, and I think I'd mentioned before that, you know, my dad wasn't a hunter. My dad wasn't a golfer. He was a doctor, but he wasn't very outdoorsy. You know, he was very kind of erudite, wrote a lot of books and articles, but he wasn't the outdoorsman. So I was, I wasn't really exposed to that kind of lifestyle. So doing camp probably would be good for me. Well, this Pollyanna view of camp was not shared by me. This idea of a place to get exercise and sun and do, you know, cook s'mores and have fun. I was skeptical that summer camp would be a good experience at all. After all, what in my experience so far would make me think it'd be any different than any other confluence of pubescent hormonal kids away from the vigilant eyes of their non-approving parents under the auspices of indifferent camp counselors? who likely cared more about getting action and scoring weed than their tween charges. So that's a pretty long sentence. So at that time, I was very incredulous that I would have a good experience at summer camp because every experience in my you know, tweenish teenage years with other tweens and teenagers were bad. You know, I was constantly bullied. So why would I think going to camp where there's essentially no supervision aside from teenage camp counselors. And as I mentioned, teenage camp counselors, they're nominally there or a name to watch over their, 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 the kids there, but really they're just trying to get, you know, action and score some dope. So I implored my parents not to put me in the overnight camp and they acquiesced. Thank God for whining, right? Whining is the tool for a lot of kids, right? To get what you want. So the actual experiences of camp exceeded my foreboding expectations. I distinctly remembered arriving at the camp and seeing boys walking around shirtless, either at the lake or playing sports. I was like, uh-oh. Or as Joey from Blossom would say, whoa. Remember that show Blossom with me and Bob Bialik? She's on Big Bang Theory. And his go-to line, the older brother Joey's like, whoa. Like, whoa, Joey, da, 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 whoa. Yeah, that was a great show. Early 90s. Meow and Bollock. She had that really big nose. That and Saved by the Bell. You remember when Saturday mornings, Saturday mornings used to have Schoolhouse Rock. Okay, so they used to have the cartoons like the like the 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 Smurfs and, um, I don't know, My Little Pony or whatever. And then at the end of each show, they would show Schoolhouse Rock. Now, any of you guys, who guys are Gen Xers would remember Schoolhouse Rock. Those were like the little educational songs that they would play between cartoons at the top of the hour. So there was like, I'm a Bill on Capitol Hill, Conjunction Junction, Interjection, Interplanetary, Janet, all these just great songs that would, would, were, were catchy and they taught you stuff. Later on in the 90s, they brought, or late late 80s, they brought Saved by the Bell and all the offshoots of Saved by the Bell. And of course, I watched that with Screech and Kelly Kapowski and Zach and all those great shows. You know, poor Screech. He ended up being, oh, God, he had some problems with the... 
with law enforcement. Then he wrote that tell-all book, and he, and he mentioned that all the all those people, all those actors, were like doing drugs and having sex. And you know, it's not surprising. It's Hollywood, even though it was Saturday morning Hollywood. But uh, yeah, those were the days. I don't even know if they even show Saturday morning cartoons. I have no idea. Well, anyways, yeah, so I drive up, or my parents drive up, and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. People are already shirtless. That means I'm going to have to be shirtless. And as as you remember from gym class, fat people don't like to be shirtless. So I just want to get home as soon as possible to indulge in my food and my cartoons. Boy, how much did that one hour of G.I. Joe and the Transformers get me through my tweens? Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. So... (laughs) So at the end of G.I. Joe, you know, I, only guys would understand this. At the end of G.I. Joe, they always had like this public service announcement where like, like for example, one of the ones I remember, they have this teenager at the end and he's spray painting in the garage and Flint or Lady Jane walks in and the kid would be like, whoa, Lady Jane. And Lady Jane would be like, hey, Bobby, what are you doing? Oh, I'm painting inside my garage with no windows on, with no windows open. And Lady Jane would be like, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. You could die. And then the kid would be like, well, now I know. And he'd open up the window. And then the, the catch line by the G.I. Joe person was always, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. So it was like PSAs. Remember, they used to do PSAs in Saturday morning commercials, too. Remember in the 80s TV shows, like Family Ties and you know, the other ones, they'd have like that serious episode, like they would deal with incest or with uh, abuse or the alcoholism. I remember distinctly there was a Family Ties episode where Tom Hanks, young time Tom Hanks, was like the brother of the dad, Michael Keaton, and he was an alcoholic, or he touched Michael J. Fox or something like that. But all those 80s shows always had the, the special episode, you know. This week's Different Strokes special episode. Oh, Different Strokes. I mean, what kind of premise was Different Strokes? How, like, overtly racist and patronizing is it? You know, a rich man in a penthouse adopts two black kids from the inner city. And, of course, one of them was Gary Coleman, the little kid, and his catch line, because his older brother's name was Willis, was, what you talking about, Willis? And he knew that look on his face. And then he had the, uh, the, 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 the dad had the daughter. And then there was, like, a curse in that show, right? Because the daughter died mysteriously. And then Gary Coleman, you know, had problems later on. But uh, it was just a tough... But that show's premise was just... I mean, so many 80s shows, like Alf... Oh, Alien Land, you know, Small Wonder, like Vicky the Robot. You know, yeah, my dad just invented a robot, and she's a girl. Oh, those shows were great. To be kid in the 80s. Anyways, the program for the two weeks sectioned off days into various activities. Now, I don't remember the particulars of all 10 days since this gauntlet of mortification was 30 years ago, so I'll just reflect on the four memories that are seared into my consciousness like overcooked meat. Speaking of overcooked meat, that's a high carcinogen. So you want to keep your meat um, medium rare or, or medium. Don't overcook your meat because uh, the, the offshoots, it's not acrylamide. Acrylamide is when you overcook starchy foods like cereal and chips. Those are carcinogenic as well. And I can hear I can hear that my students, Mr. Lynn, everything causes cancer, right? Yeah, okay. Well, not everything, but just, just use simple practices like don't overcook your meat. Archery. My father was not into too many hobbies. He loved watching and playing soccer, but he was not much into fishing, hunting, or even golfing. So because of this, I was a pretty insular kid. Even to this day, I've never played a round of golf. This is serious. I've never golfed. My brother, big golfer. 
the, the, the extent of my golfing is putt-putt golf. And honestly, I am not good at putt-putt golf. Not good at it. As a result, I did not boast a modicum of outdoorsy talent in my corpulent frame. If I would have been William Tell, my son would be dead right now, but the apple's surely intact. So that's reference to uh, a Swiss legend that was later made into an opera by Rossini. The William Tell Overture is pretty famous. And I honestly can't hum it right now because right now in my head is the Barber of Seville. Dun, 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 dun. Made by made very funny by fun made very famous by Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny back in the day turned a lot of those classical music pieces um, into the, into the cartoon, and so um, why would you want to kill the rabbit? Why would you want to kill the rabbit? Into the cartoon, so again, that's that's Barbara Seville, but he had a William Tell one. But William Tell overture is very famous by Rossini. But the legend is that William Tell was a Swiss man, and I forgot for whatever reason he had to shoot an apple off his son's head, and he shot it off the son's head. I was so bad at archery because I never did it that you know I'm sure I would shoot and kill somebody. Each morning we had archery lessons. Shooting a bow and arrow was difficult. Now, the camp gave out free Nerf-like suction cup bow and arrows to the campers, and so the sky was replete with plastic arrows obscuring the subtropical sun. By Apollo's sadistic hand, a large majority of these arrows landed on my arse. Yeah, so you don't want to give sadistic people, you know, suction cup bows and arrows because they're just going to shoot at people, and of course they're going to shoot it at me. Yeah, Apollo's sadistic hand. That kind of reminds me of the Iliad, you know, the the story of um, Achilles. If you don't know the story of Achilles, a lot of you know because of of Brad Pitt's Troy, that great movie where he looks really good, man. I, I mean, I am not gay, but Brad Pitt in that 2005 Roland Emmerich Troy with Eric Bana as Hector and um, Orlando Bloom as Paris and Diana Kruger as um, Helen of Troy. Great movie. Great movie, but anyways, the story is that uh, Thetis, let's see if I remember this correctly, Thetis was the mother of Achilles, and she receives a prophecy that Achilles is going to die. So she takes him down to the river Styx, which is the boundary to the underworld, and dips him as a baby into the river Styx. And so she has to hold on to the heel so he doesn't drown. Like she's dipping him like a Dairy Queen, you know, dipped cone or something like that. Well, since she's got to hold the heel, he is not invincible. So the river stick somehow makes everybody invincible. So if this was like well-known news at the time, then why wasn't everyone dipped in the river sticks, right? Anyway, so that was his weak spot. Now you got to think, well, why didn't Thetis just double dip him so to cover each heel? Okay, well, there's always like, well, I don't know, bring it up with uh, Homer in the underworld or wherever he is right now. So anyway, so eventually he goes to fight for Agamemnon. He doesn't really want to fight, but he goes. The, the gods take sides. Apollo's on the side of the Trojans. And so at the end of the Iliad, Paris, who's kind of a coward, shoots an arrow, and Apollo guides, and it hits Achilles' heel. That's where you get the term Achilles' heel, and it kills him. Now, as I tell my kids in medical terminology class, this is wholly inaccurate. First of all, you would not die if you had an arrow shot at your Achilles tendon. At the worst, you wouldn't be able to dorsiflex or plantar flex or essentially move your ankle back and forth and be very painful, but you would not die. But again, you know, how much anatomy did Homer know? And he probably just was taking artistic license. 
Anyway, so yeah. I remember in particular aiming for the target in the bow and arrow contest and having these plastic projectiles shot at me to distract me. The people would spew out, Hey, pig, let's shoot you and roast you for dinner. Or they would hum the banjo theme from the 70s Burt Reynolds movie, Deliverance. That was pretty clever. So I've never seen Deliverance, but I know like uh, Ned Beatty and he, uh, they go take a camping trek and eventually they bump into these rednecks and then the one of the rednecks does a horrible thing to Ned Beatty's character. I'm like, I'm going to roast you out of pig. They say, I'm gonna, you could squeal like a pig. Squeal. And then the banjo is like. So anytime you hear somebody go. It's got to reference that. Whoever there was kind of white trash. So yeah, they would call me pig. That taunting augmented by my sheer lack of athletic prowess made the daily archery lesson rather excruciating. These miscreants shattered my dreams of future Olympic glory as a winner by athlete. (laughs) Yeah, of course I'm being facetious there. Of course I never had... By athletes, I think, are the ones that like cross-country ski and then they... they, uh, No, 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 no. By athletes, they do the cross-country shoot and then they shoot. So no, I don't don't think they, they shoot an arrow. I think I'm going to get mixed up with archery. Yeah, I don't know the Olympics that well. The lake. I never swam in a lake before. Images of amoebas, worms, and parasites coursed through my mind. Even images from the bad 80s movie Piranha. Now, if you ever see Piranha, I think they remade it about 10 years ago. It's, again, summer camp. These, these kids go into lakes, and there's these flesh-eating fish that eat them. My experiences at the lake at the lake mirror those of the swimming pool confession. The petrifying fear of having to doff the clothes to expose my floppy skin and boobs blinded me. Now, the lack of entrances into the lake exacerbated my anxiety for only one ingress into the lake through the pier existed. So there wasn't really a way to get in the lake aside from walking all the way through the pier and then going down the ladder, jumping. Now, I was way too much of a scaredy cat to jump in to the lake. I had never been to a lake before. To me, my only experience of swimming in water were pools. Now, when I was a kid, I was petrified of the beach. I was petrified of the ocean. I hated jellyfish. My dad, what he would do is, I, I was a big scaredy cat as a kid. He, I would be like five or six years old, and he'd be like, Edward, we need to make a man of you. And so there'd be waves. Right? We'd go to Mexico like every year to visit the family. We'd go to um, the Pacific Ocean side, go to a resort or whatever. And he'd put me right in the waves. And he would sit next to me. And the waves would crash down on me. And my older brothers, they'd be in the beach. You know, my cousins would be in the beach. And I'd be, and all these waves are crashing on me. But he was trying to toughen me up. But my, my big fear of the beach was undertow. Just the whole th- idea that you could be sucked out into the ocean and you could swim and swim and swim and it would never work and you'd be just you'd just be you know drifted out into death. And then jellyfish. Now jellyfish are beautiful creatures when you go to aquarium, but next to bees, who are my number one nemesis, and scorpions who freak me out, jellyfish freak me out. I have these images like a final destination kind of death where you're just swimming around and then this big pod or whatever group of jellyfish come and they just surround you and they just sting you and sting you and sting you and just they're, they're freaky looking. They're translucent. The, the man of wars are the Portuguese man of wars. They're translucent. They got this blue and the pink and it's just they freak me out. So even today, I am freaked out by jellyfish. I rarely go into the beach, and I'm just, 
you know, over here in Texas on the Gulf Coast, we got the the white jellyfish, and I've never been stung. Okay, like I hate bees, and I've never been stung by a bee. So I think maybe I need to get stung by these things, and I won't think it's a big deal. But again, you know, like I told the students, adults are just older children. We still have the same insecurities and issues that kids have. We're just older. We just have a little more wisdom. But jellyfish would freak me out. So anyways, going back to the pier, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't just jump in. So I'd walk to the end and there was only one way to get in, you know. So, so as we waited our turn to get in and walked down the ladder to get into the lake, I'd hear the typical fat slurs. You know, I don't remember a lot of, hey, 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 it's Fat Albert, because I don't think these kids really knew my name. You know, it was a two-week camp. But at the lake, the kids gifted me with a new moniker, Girl Boy. They'd call me a lot, Girl Boy. Albeit not too creative, the name did stick for those two weeks. They'd be like, look, here comes Girl Boy. Oh, Girl Boy's getting sad. Hey, Girl Boy, what type of nudge do you have? You know, because I, kinda, I had women boobs and I looked kind of effeminate, so they didn't know if I was a, you know, I had an ovaries or testicles, so they, you know, they, we say nads. So I got a lot of that. I smiled, and of course, I took it like a good boy, because that's what fat kids do, right? And, or you say, stop. It's a girl boy, a lot of girl boy. So I didn't like the lake. Uh, I don't remember going to it much. Also, the, the idea of, of contracting an amoeba or some parasite freaked me out, too. Yeah. And, you know, I don't like walking on rocks when I'm, I, I pretty much if it's not a pool, I don't feel comfortable in it. We're, you know, we're all neurotic on a certain level. Canoeing. I've never been sailing on a boat of any sort before, but the cold placidity of water has always enticed me. The thought of canoeing or kayaking excited me prior to camp. And upon arrival, I noticed that everyone wore their shirts. Praise Jesus. Amen. Amen. Prior to getting on the canoe, you had to put on a life vest. Okay, well, that makes sense, right? Liability, they want you to drown, even though they know you can swim. Fortunately for me, they didn't have one that fit me. So they told me that I couldn't ride. Of course, the camp counselor are like, dude, you know, you're too fat. Huh? I'm part of the cool kids. Oh, I'll make fun of you. So they didn't let me ride. And so, But later, they came up with the idea of tying two vests together. So I don't know if they were like... Hey, this fat kid, let's just make his life worse and tie two vests together. Or maybe they actually cared and wanted me to go in the canoe. Or maybe the director told him to do it. I don't, I don't remember even the director at all. So what they would do is they would tie up two live vests and uh, so I could get in. So, of course, I would hear the, oh, girl boy's so fat, they need two vests. Girl boy, huh? girl boy, so that was an issue, but hey, I got to go in the canoe, and, and like I said, even to today, I like riding on canoes. I just like, not that I ever fish, you know, I've honestly gone fishing in 20 years, but canoeing, just relaxing, just the sound of nature, you know, we're so hooked onto our phones and being indoors that we don't go outside and hear the sounds of nature, so I always liked being outdoors. Getting into the canoe was another issue. As a child, I had difficulty squatting down or sitting Indian style. Now, I've mentioned the term Indian style because even today I cannot sit Indian style with my legs without my legs sticking up like in a V shape because I'm not flexible at all. So I mentioned to the students how I can't sit Indian style. They're like, Mr. Luna, we don't use that term. It's crisscross applesauce. I'm like, what the hell is crisscross applesauce? So apparently Indian style is offensive to Indians. Now, I don't know if a, an, a contingency from like 
I don't know, Madras sailed a boat to the stage, or if this is probably more Native American and like a Cherokee entourage came to DC and said, Hey, yeah, 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 hey, yeah, yeah, we, we don't like you calling us sitting Indian style. Oh, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe the, the PC police that's in DC were like, well, let's come up with a new name for Indian style. Oh, yeah, here's a great one crisscross applesauce. Where the hell did they get that term from Indian style? Now, I kind of get instant Indian style being somewhat racist. Honestly, I don't. I really don't have a problem with it. But again, I'm old. This is like the same thing when you talk to like nine year old people and they still call black people Negroes, right? They don't see a problem with it, and you're like, oh, that's we don't use that term anymore. So I guess the younger people are like, oh, we don't use Indian style, but come on, let's call a spade a spade. We have way too many euphemisms, way too many, right? Short people are like vertically challenged. Janitors are sanitation engineers. Even teachers are educators. Why do we need to rename everybody? Honestly, why? A name is a name, okay? African-American, Native American, Indian American, black. Look, black was a term that the blacks came up with in the 70s as a, as a form of racial empowerment. Like, I am black. I am proud of being black. Now we use African-American. If I use the term black, sometimes I get students that look at me like, you can't use the word black. The blacks came up with the term blacks, for Christ's sake. And African-American isn't even accurate because they're not from Africa. They're, just, they're, 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 they're descended, their ancestors have been in America since, who knows, 80, at least 1860s, if not the first slaves came in 16, what, 15? They're not even from Africa, they're from America, or maybe if they're African-American, quote-unquote, they're, they're from Haiti, they're Caribbean. So again, crisscross applesauce, what genius came up with that term? How stupid is that? Well, what does applesauce have to do with sitting Indian style? Anyway, I'll take it off my tirade. I could fall into the bottom of the ca- of the canoe, but in order to get into the canoe, I had to step into it and then gingerly squat down onto the seat. I didn't know how to do that, so I fell back, causing the canoe to jostle and almost overturn. The Snickers inevitably followed. Oh, she, she, man, you know, girl boy, oh, girl boy can't get in. Oh, tidal wave, tsunami. Canoeing was an intriguing idea, but the vest, coupled with the rigor of getting into the canoe, convinced me to give up. The canoe sighed collectively with relief. (laughs) They're like, thank God that fat kid wasn't going to sit on us. I don't know if we could handle it. (laughs) My last experience is horseback riding. Yeah, this one really sticks with me. This experience reverberates into my head even to this day. I had never ridden a horse, much less touch one. You see a pattern here? Again, I was a suburban boy. Never been a canoe, never did archery, never went golfing, never been on a horse. My dad, my I, I can't even picture my dad on a horse. So I remember distinctly being in line to ride the pony. Now, this is not the big horse. It's the pony, right? When it was my turn, the counselor instructed me to insert my left foot into the stirrup and lift myself up on top of the horse. The same boy who couldn't do one push-up or pull-up in the fitness test, confession number six, sure the hell was it going to be able to hoist himself on top of a horse? Okay, but I was like, okay, I'll try. Whatever, camp counselor, I'll try. So as I endeavored to heave myself over, the pony staggered back toward me, unable to bear my weight. 
this point, you know, I was 1987, so I was probably 13, 14. Now I was probably about 240 pounds. So the sight of seeing a, a horse or a pony stumble due to my weight electrified the kids into derision 101. Fetus, horse killer, echoed in the air, of course. You know, I got a lot of, girl boy's going to kill the horse, girl boy. And then another one was, if the horse fell on him, which would be harder for the crane to pick up? Was uttered a lot. So, I mean, it was tough. I mean, I remember the horse would literally stagger back. And the camp counselors even laughed with the kids. Again, going back to the popular kid, the popular kid solidarity block. Regardless of the age, popular kids stick together. It's like the Freemasons. You know, they got their popular wink, their popular handshake. So they were laughing at me. So, so much for the authority figure. So it was very traumatizing. I lumbered back, I lumbered off like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters into the woods to cry. Just... Even to this day, I've only been on a horse one time. That was back in college. My friend Dave and I drove up to uh, Canada <laughs> my, uh, in college. So, of course, this is after my weight loss. I remember, uh, I, you know, I love geography. And so what my, my friends and I would do in college is during the summer, we would tell my parents, like, hey, Mom, Dad, we're going to go to Corpus to visit some college friend. And uh, we'd be gone a week. And they'd be like, okay, whatever you want. I don't know. You know, they never disciplined. They never really cared. I mean, as I've mentioned in all these confessions. So what my friends and I would do, we would jump in the car and drive to Canada. I mean, we literally, like, drive one day, get to Wyoming, sleep in the car. The next day, we're at the Canadian border because I love geography. I wanted, I had this goal to visit all the states. So I did a bunch of these trips in college. And so one of the trips, we went up to Banff National Park. I got there like in three days. Banff is on the Alberta-British Columbia border. <laughs> and so we went ghost, uh, I'm sorry, we went horseback riding in Banff. And so that was the only time I've been on a horse. And that was in 95. So anyways, I drove back. My parents never found out. I did like two or three of these trips. They never checked the odometer on the car. Uh, those were the days. But yeah, I haven't been on a horse in over 20 years. And I'm sure it's fun, but I, I'm still somewhat traumatized by this horse, you know, falling back. And I'm sure I could get on a horse now, but again, a lot of these these images are seared into your mind. So yeah. Anyways, despite the aforementioned and of course the persistent genital rashes that were exacerbated by wet clothes and sweat, I do count my blessings vis-a-vis camp. Now, I've mentioned the rashes many times in these confessions, um, going back to gym class and the bicycle seat that I had to have my my mother put diaper cream on me as an adult or as a teenager because I couldn't, I got rashes because I couldn't wipe myself and I was sweaty down there and she had to put diaper cream. So, of course, I had this major problem at day camp because, you know, you go into the water and you wouldn't change or I didn't change all the time. So you go home kind of wet. And so inevitably I got rashes. But I do count my blessings. Look, I cringe at the thought of what kind of hell overnight camp would have been. And I count my lucky stars. I only had to endure these invectives and these, you know, these these fat slurs and insults and uh, for only a summer. But um, I can't imagine night camp. Oh, my God. Night camp. Kids would have done so much shit to me. Oh, I'm sorry. So much S-H-I-T to me um, at night. I mean, they 
they probably would have like kidnapped me and thrown me into the woods and it just oh my it just would have been horrible so look we always got to find a silver lining you know don't sweat the small stuff like i mentioned the previous confession about jesus saying how the birds don't worry about where they're going to get food and stuff like that but we always look at the have to look at the silver lining and no matter how bad something is there's always a bright side and we we have to focus on that we have to be not just a survivor of traumatic occasions and not just being fat but any type of trauma that happens to you but you really have to be a thriver you have to kind of spin it that a lot of these bad experiences happen for a reason and i know that's so hackneyed and cliched to say that right anytime something traumatic happens well god has a reason for this and maybe we say that because we don't our mind doesn't know how to rationalize horrible things that happen to us or maybe it's true. Maybe God has a plan. You know, like kids don't understand, four or five year olds don't understand why we have to give them vaccines, right? We have to give them shots. So you, they just have to trust the parents that the parents know better that they have to get the vaccine. So it's kind of the same thing. We are like the kids and God is like the parents. And sometimes bad things have to happen to us for us to understand and for, for a greater purpose. And maybe it won't be until after we die that when we go to heaven, we can ask God. You know, they always say, like, what's the one question you would ask God when you get to heaven? <laughs> You'd be like, <laughs> like, why the hell do I have to go to, why the hell do I have to go to day camp? Or, you know, whatever. But my point is that always try to find the positive in things because it's so easy, guys, to be quagmired into negativity. And and honestly, what, what does that bring? Nothing. It really doesn't. So no matter how bad things are in your life, and we all have bad things, and we just got to focus on the positive and honestly, just one day at a time, one one step at a time, and we just endure life. And I don't want to have this negative view that life is just about being born, getting older, you know, reproducing and then aging and dying. But um, you, sometimes you got to wonder, what is the meaning of life? You know, why are we here on this planet? And I honestly don't know, you know, better minds have tackled that and I, they don't know. So I really don't know. Anyways, that is the end of confession number 13, the summer camp. I would appreciate it if you would go to my website, naturopathicearth.com, post some comments in the comment sections of these uh, blogs of the confessions, or post some comments in the wellness articles. Tell me what you think of them. And most importantly, please give me a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It mean a lot to me. I just want some constructive feedback. And of course, if you want to be interviewed, I know it's been some time, but I am so IT stupid, guys. And please, if any of you are listening, uh, please email me, contact me through the website. Tell me, how can I interview somebody through <laughs> Skype and record it? Because it's not like I devote like 12 hours a day to this, but you know, it's like I am so brilliant and like bookish stuff. Like I could tell you you know, so much about art history or, you know, who you give me a year, I'll tell you it was president, or I could tell you the capitals of every country in the world, but I am so stupid and so many things. Like I can't change oil in a car. I can barely assemble a chair. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible at lawn doing my lawn and weed whacking. It's just, it's just funny how we are, we, we have strengths and weaknesses, but that's definitely, uh, one of my weaknesses is, uh, it stuff. So, Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Confessions of a Nobis Child. Thank you for listening up. You take care. Say your prayers to the higher being. Eat well. Sleep well. Peace out. And until next time. 
God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.